Welcome to Lost River Legends. Our motto, Ex Tenebris, is Latin for Out of the Shadows. We attempt to understand the complex world around us and bring light to subjects hidden in darkness. We explore paranormal topics with guests from all around the world. Now welcome your Lost River Legends hosts, James and Brett. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Lost River Legends today. Our special guest is Mary Joyce from Skyships Over Cashiers. She's based out of Asheville, North Carolina, and this area has a lot of high strangeness, UFO activity, underground noises, and other phenomenon happening. How are you doing today, Mary? Just fine. Uh, good to hear you. Thank you for joining us. You know, um, looking into some of the material on your site, um, I'm really, uh, it's kind of opened my eyes to some of the activity in that area. Um, and, you know, one of the most uh, alarming things that I read was, uh, I believe, an account of a, a Duke uh, Power uh, guy that was, he was setting up um, some, some uh, smart meters for the uh, Duke Power and he had to go in and check out uh, some different GPS locations, and that led to some interesting findings. Uh, yeah, he was real surprised because uh, he had to go through uh, uh, more security than he thought he would uh, to even get in the place. And the building is only one story tall, so he was very surprised when he was directed to go down a hall and then down uh, an elevator. And so he goes way down in an elevator, and... Uh, it just becomes a very uh, intriguing story, and uh, they, they've been seeing all sorts of uh, uh, strange activity in that area. Actually, it is one of many. Uh, I've written a book called uh, "Underground Military Bases Hidden in North Carolina Mountains," and uh, I've uh, focused on five of the ones that we've learned about. And since that book came out, the the one about uh, uh, the one that the Duke Power guy stumbled on has come out since then, so that's relatively new. So that's one. Of, that's one of the newer witness testimonies uh, surrounding that. Do you know about when that occurred? Um, let's see. I'm trying to remember. Uh, we posted it. Um, we we learned about it in November of this past year, and uh, surprisingly, it is under a um like a water plant it's a, a high 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 you know anyhow it's a, a water plant and nobody would expect uh, something like that to be you know hiding secrets and when i mentioned the elevator at the beginning there was one elevator then he got off and got onto another elevator and went down a longer and faster ride than the first one so uh, he had no idea how deep he was but he felt he was quite deep underneath the ground and when he was at the lowest level, uh, he had to wait uh, for a bit, and he was looking around, and he noticed that there was a door that was labeled kennel. And he thought that it was really strange uh, that a, there would be a kennel in a water facility plant. And uh, uh, the more he found out, he, I guess he actually was able to talk to a man uh, who worked at that facility and uh, 
even though it um, is set up to be something for, you know, research on water, uh, they're also doing research on chemical weapons, and uh, they supposedly had the livestock there as part of their testing. But uh, it, it just gets really bizarre because there are a lot of uh, humans that are disappearing, and um, many times the homeless people are rounded up and... Uh, there are many people who think that they're being used um, as human guinea pigs for some of these uh, uh, secret dark experiments that are going on. You know, and that that's a very interesting connection. Um, I think they kind of fictionalized some of that um, in the latest uh, Venom movie. They had uh, some homeless people that were abducted and then taken to this facility, and they had this symbiote uh, biochemical alien uh, basically trying to they're trying to merge the different uh, intelligences and biology and things didn't really work out for the for the homeless people there and that uh, so that's kind of interesting a little bit of I don't know kind of foreshadowing or or crossover yeah and part of that article that I posted I probably should give people the name in case they want to look it up and it's called indications of nefarious testing at underground facility and it's in our detailed testimony. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Do we, Mary, do we know any specifics about what kind of experimentation might be going on in these facilities? Um, at least any theories, all I maybe? I can tell you, well, like, like at the uh, Perry facility, which is the Pisca Astronomical Research Institute, which is, again, here uh, in the mountains of western North Carolina, uh, even years ago, people who were working at a nearby uh, tree farm uh, saw animals in cages being taken into this facility. And originally the facility was strictly for the Department of Defense and they used it to track satellites and, and uh, during uh, the Cold War. Uh, supposedly it's no longer doing that type of thing and it's again supposedly uh, just an astronomical research uh, institute now. But we've talked to two people who uh, have various forms of high security clearance and they both confirmed that there is a city-sized facility beneath that that's six stories deep. Um, one of the uh, witnesses said that uh, uh, they have the ability to wipe, wipe out human memories from there. And from my own experience, uh, when I've gotten close to that facility, and I've always been with uh, other people when I've been close to it, you begin to get this weird feeling in your head, and I've used the term... Uh, people repellent. Uh, they, um, it's an electromagnetic energy of some sort that's sent out that makes you not want to be there. Um, we also have had people experience that when they've gotten close to the entrance for the uh, facility that's quite new, as far as we can tell, that's been built underneath the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And uh, one woman who went up there, and she had a military background, so she wasn't, you know, just a naive off-the-street person, and she drove up there, and it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining, the birds were singing, and if you got close to where this entrance is, which you cannot access, um, all the birds quit singing, everything got quiet, and the longer she stayed there, the more she began to get a headache, and then she stayed even longer, and she started to feel nauseated, and those terrible icky feelings didn't disappear until she started going back down the mountain. So, like I said, I think they use a people repellent to keep uh, people away. You know, and that, that's interesting because, you know, as, as you were telling me that, I've, I've heard that before. 
Um, I've heard I've heard that from your website, but it makes me wonder if the the people that are working there, um, if they experience the same uh, phenomenon, you know, the the repellent, the the whatever's going on in your head, or if there's some kind of special uh, shielding, uh, a helmet or something that they're wearing, or some device that might uh, keep things going, or is it maybe just above ground? Would beam something out away from the facility. I mean, that that's my own theory because people would not you know, work uh, under those conditions. So it's very targeted, it, it seems like, to keep people away. And, and even animals, it sounds like, since it sounds like animal life is, is kind of uh, almost pushed away yeah, from if this all area. The birds sud- if all the birds suddenly got silent, uh, the closer you got to the place, I would say it would have an effect on probably all living beings. That reminds me of some of the, uh, the sound cannons and the microwave weapons that are uh, deployed for crowd control. Um, they've used those uh, different various weapons in in uh, Afghanistan and in Iraq, and again here on on the home soil in different uh, situations. So, it's it's not at all surprising to me uh, that that would be the case. I agree. So something something about the uh, investigation of this, as you start peeling back these layers, do you are you ever met with any resistance or any kind of uh, uh, gang stalking, any kind of um, men in black, any uh, off-putting behaviors from, from people? Uh, I have been fortunate not to have those kind of experiences. But I also get um, um, warnings, I would, I would say, of a, almost of a spiritual nature. For example, I was told that I should never personally uh, go on the property at the Perry Center. And that's the one I'd mentioned to you about uh, doing the things that can erase memory and and uh, I was told, you know, not to go past the front gate. So I had followed that because uh, uh, there's no way that uh, I want my memory wiped out or anything else happen, happening. And so I do take precautions. I don't, uh, um, I just don't jump into everything. Yeah, I think it's really important to to listen to those warnings. You know, I think our our our, our spirits and our bodies kind of get um, yeah. If you go against those gut feelings, you probably will get in trouble. And most of us have ignored them at some point in our life or many times in our lives and found out the hard way that we should have been listening to it. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think that um, Brett and I are both aligned with you on that, uh, that point, that principle. Um, <clears throat> I think there, there's a spiritual aspect to that as well, um, that you know, there's, there's definitely a creator that uh, is watching out for us. And what's interesting, and and I'm not one who's going to drop, uh, you know, jump into some uh, religious point of view, but I did find it very interesting that um, a man, and I'm not going to be able to pull his name up right now, but he was the head, or maybe still the head, of a MUFON group in the Titusville, Florida area, which is near the Space Center. And um, he was kind of a nuts and bolts kind of guy, which many people in MUFON are. And he was just interested in the hardware. And the more he was involved with this, he the more he ran into people who were having very negative experiences uh, being abducted by aliens. And uh, that's usually being done by greys or reptilians. And uh, I think it's a total violation of, of a human being. And he found that the only people that he had met that had been able to stop those kind of abductions were those who actually turned to uh, uh, God or if they're Christians to Jesus and asking for protection 
and that seemed to be the only way they were able to stop it. Uh, I'm only giving you secondhand information uh, uh, from him, um, but I found this information very interesting. So the spiritual, uh, there are different kinds of things going on in the world. And another example is we have a man who um, occasionally has been on ancient aliens, and he is um, a very uh, liberal um, pastor with a, a non what can I say, um, like a Unitarian uh, church of some kind. And he had really bad experiences with a reptilian coming into his bedroom when he uh, was sleeping at night. And he said, he, you know, he was like a kid. He put his head under the blanket. He didn't want to see it. And reptilians don't look pretty, and I think they would scare the you-know-what out of anybody. And um, I met with him uh, and another person who's involved with this website. I met with him in Asheville, and we talked to him for some time. And he began to um, uh, do the spiritual kind of protection approach to all of this, and the reptilian interference stopped. Then good things began to happen. He, uh, after that, had a very serious health condition where, um, you know, his life was truly in jeopardy. And um, a Pleiadian-type uh, alien, which would, which looked very human, appeared at the foot of his bed, uh, didn't say anything, and he didn't have any sense of fear when this being appeared. And the next morning he woke up totally healed. So the there are extremes in the ET world. And uh, I think it's best to be aligning with the ones that are positive and good. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I can actually attest to what you're talking about in the discussion that we're uh, that we're having about divine protection. Um, it was a it was a few weeks ago. I won't get into the details, but I had my own experience um, that I, I I definitely knew uh, what was going to happen, um, and and I had uh, I had a divine protection. And I was given um, given protection from this situation uh, that would have turned uh, my whole world upside down. And so I can definitely attest to um, to that fact. And, and that's probably something we're going to be sharing in a in an upcoming episode about what happened to me. But uh, you know, it kind of ties into the whole free will and, and our agency and whatnot. And um, but yeah, that's that's interesting that there's that connection that you've made there. And so with some of these uh some of these situations that you've experienced what what's something out there um it doesn't have to be a specific uh um topic necessarily but what's something out there that right now it's kind of the hot topic um it's something that's on your mind some of this activity that you're that you're um investigating what's something that stands out to you that that just won't go away I think what is uh, at the top of the list uh, of mysteries on the planet, in fact, I think you have to leave the planet to find bigger mysteries than the ones that are being discovered in Antarctica. It, you know, that that's sort of like our one of our last frontiers on the planet itself for uh, great mysteries to be solved. And so we've done quite a bit of that, as much as you can without being somebody, you know, in the snow down in Antarctica. Google can actually be quite helpful, and I've gotten uh, images of at least three entrances going into Antarctica. And uh, what I've done in each of those situations is I give people the coordinates so they can find them for themselves because, the uh, you know, there's so many people playing games with Photoshop, 
and so people need to be able to find evidence for themselves. And these entrances are not little. I mean, there's one um, that's 295 feet at its widest point. And to put it in perspective, a Boeing 747 is 196 feet across. Which So that means one of those jets could fly into this entrance and have 50 feet on each off of each wingtip. So that's a pretty big entrance. And there's another entrance that has what looks to be like a, a metal dome awning over it. And another one, um, let's see, it has, uh, it looks to be like a, a runway. You can see things that's easy to imagine them being um, runway lights. And then it runs right up to another good size entrance. And it's 149 feet across. And then if I compare that one to a um, 320 Airbus, and it has a wingspan of 117 feet. So you can see 117 feet could easily fly into something that's a, or roll into um, an entrance that's 149 feet across. Uh, the thing that makes this additionally interesting is that it's located, the closest uh, ba known base in Antarctica is uh, 250 miles, 215 miles away from this. So it, it wouldn't be like being used by one of our research facilities. You know, <clears throat> that subject is is really holding my attention lately um, with with some of the witness testimonies and things that are coming out from there. Uh, Lyndon Moulton Howe most recently is releasing a Spartan 1 and Spartan 2 codenamed people who were contractors, military uh, guys that went down there and had different experiences. Uh, you have the uh, above majestic stuff. Um, it's really hard to know how to sift some of this because we can't go to Antarctica. We can't be there. But there are these things, like you said, you can go on Google Earth. You can find these coordinates, lock them in, and look at them for yourself and, and kind of draw some of your own conclusions in conjunction with some of the other data that's out there. Check out some of this, uh, this activity in Antarctica. I have been using Antarctica uh, and then colon followed by a title so that you can type in Antarctica in our search bar and a whole list of different things will come up um, for people to check into. And I think we really should be paying attention because uh, back in 2016, which is not that long ago, we had all these um, world leaders uh, going down to Antarctica. And you just have to stop and wonder why are old guys like that are in their 70s and 80s going down there uh, to the most inhospitable part of our planet. And uh, John Kerry and Buzz Aldrin are certainly two of the uh, ones that made the national news. But there's many other leaders, including like the leader of China and the head of the uh, Russian Orthodox Church. Um, I found it very intriguing that before um, he's referred to as Patriarch uh, Kirill, uh, I found it very interesting. He met with uh, uh, Pope Francis before he went down there, and they met for three hours in Cuba uh, directly before he left. This was unusual for two things. One, with the timing of his trip to Antarctica, and the other, that the two leaders of the two variations of the Catholic Church had never met before. Yeah, and that's that's something that is, is really catching a lot of attention. We have the different... Um, reports of Buzz Aldrin actually getting sick when he went down there and some tie-ins. Uh, Dr. Sala has done a lot of extensive research on the different contractors, uh, military contractors that have been down there 
And in the past, a lot of them have been uh, aerospace contractors. And now it's kind of shifted more to biotech. And that lends a lot of credence to maybe some kind of uh, a, a viral outbreak or some kind of um, contagion that they're trying to, to figure out or contain. Um, they also could be doing uh, things of quite a different nature. Uh, a wonderful source of, of information and one that I trust a whole lot is a man by the name of William Tompkins. Um, he's written books. He has a he, He's no longer living. He died, I think, not long ago. I think he was like 94. And uh, he was in Navy intelligence during World War II, but he was also at the top ranks of NASA uh, and worked directly with uh, Werner von Braun and, you know, other scientists at that level. And in his book or books, he talks about working with uh, Pleiadian um, ETs who provided so much of the technical uh, information to NASA uh, for our ships uh, to be so successful. He is a wonderful source. And if if, if I didn't have such faith in his credibility... I would find it so hard to believe some of the things that he has shared with the public. And one of those is that um, um, the reptilians have had an underground facility there for who knows how long. And they were formed, uh, they are formed in cavern, caverns uh, that were created by volcanoes that are still very active and they are beneath the surface of Antarctica. In fact, the most active uh, volcanic region in the world is in western Antarctica. And um, so the reptilians have been there. They align themselves with the Nazis, or the Nazis align themselves with the reptilians, uh, even before the outbreak of World War II. And they were operating out of these underground facilities in Antarctica. The Nazis were then given um, uh, smaller caverns um, by the reptilians, and they would access them by U-tube boats or uh, submarines that would then go into the rivers that flow beneath Antarctica. And uh, like I said, if I didn't have uh, a great deal of respect for William Tompkins, it would be hard to swallow uh, uh, some of these stories when you first hear them. But um, I think Linda Moulton Howe is a wonderful one who's uh, doing some serious uh, interviews with people who may very well have true uh, knowledge of what's ha really happening down there. Yeah, I, I've been following uh, some of the Bill Tompkins stuff. I actually just uh, bought his book and started reading that. And it even just the prologue and the first chapter is a mind-blowing uh, expose on, on his career and how that was kind of, uh, I would say, railroaded, you know, in, in a positive way. Uh, to to interact with these um, these beings and also to um, use his talent because his talent was was remarkable to be able to look at a ship and remember every oh man every, the guy was a genius for every, sure every detail um, so <clears throat> he definitely um, had had a lot of contributions and according to uh, David Wilcock, he, you know, up until his dying days was still contributing to some of the, the different plans and the, some of the different, some of the different designs for, for uh, various aircraft, whether they be here or interplanetary. So that's a pretty remarkable story. Um, if you, if you haven't 
heard of uh, William Tompkins. He, he also gives an awesome account of the Battle of L.A. Uh, he lived there during that period and witnessed that. And that's actually a very, uh, you know, ma- that's one of the largest mass sightings on record. Uh, if uh, uh, we do have an ar- at least one article about him on our website, and you can find it one of two ways, probably if you just type in his name, William Tompkins or Tompkins in our search bar, you can find it. But if you go the route of typing in Antarctica, then it, uh, it's colon and it says reptilian aliens help Nazis. And uh, that's that would be a quick, easy introduction to some of what's going on down there. Yeah, those are some great stories, and and his contributions are definitely recognized by 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 folks who appreciate his work and his sacrifice. And he was in a position to uh, be able to talk about these things. I mean, when you get past ninety, um, you know, what, what's somebody going to do to you? Whereas uh, many of the people who are speaking out uh, according to what's going on right now are people who are still young in their profession and for various reasons they do not want to be identified. So it's nice to get information from somebody who doesn't have to use an alias. Sure. You know, and another interesting tidbit about Antarctica, um, James and I were talking this week and we found a news article about how, you know, right now David Wilcock is is talking about the alliance and how... um, uh, all these different things are tying in together with uh, politically and uh, geopolitically and, and with Q and QAnon and all this stuff. But they're, t- they're talking about how the alliance is actually pushing for official disclosure about Antarctica. Um, you know, people say that Atlantis is up there and all the technology and the, the buildings and, and different things that are buried, that the alliance is pushing for uh, this full... Uh, disclosure of Antarctica because they're they're hanging uh, different threats, um, a- exposure of of deep state activity um, over their heads as uh, as kind of a bait. Um, have you heard anything about that? I have, and I haven't sorted it out enough to be able to tell you if, what my opinion is on it. Uh, I I from what I know at this point, I take it all with a grain of salt. Uh, that is one possible reason for what for some of the things that are happening. I'm not sure it's necessarily the only viable explanation. So yeah. until until I have a better handle on it, uh, I certainly wouldn't write about it. But if I get something that really uh, is very convincing, then I will. Sure. Um, so I, I don't know what to tell you on that. Some of these stories about the cabal have proven to be. Um, wrong in the past, and so I'm not quick to jump and say that's what's going on. And to kind of I put, mean, the cabal is real. Don't get me wrong about that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just the certain uh, theories that are out there about uh, different nefarious activities that might be and happening. What, happen- and- what happens on the Internet is um, people read one story or one person's theory, then somebody picks it up, and then somebody copies that one, and you always, whenever possible, you have to get back to the most original source because so much is, you know, one theory compounded by another, woven together with another, and I'm not sure we're getting a real clear picture. And and part of that, I think, also has to do with confirmation bias. You know, we, we want to think that someone is routing out the um, cabal, as you'd call it, and we want to think that that good would triumph in the end. And, and this, 
sometimes does does lead us to you know want to see a level of of disclosure, uh, whatever version of that, um, or some level of of uh, you know the the different tri- <clears throat> tribunals that are allegedly happening. Those are all things that we we want in our hearts for for evil to be punished, but it's it's so hard to confirm whether or not it's happening. Uh, speaking of the cabal, uh, we did have somebody who had been in security and got and was involved with the cabal. Um, and there's two articles in this same section I've referred to as the Deep Throat Testimonies. And uh, there's one in there. Uh, it's called The Cabal Exposed by a High-Ranking Whistleblower. Uh, if you're at all interested in the cabal, you might very well want to read that. Now, some of these um, sources that you've that you've found regarding uh, the cabal, do they confirm some of the nefarious activities that they are alleged to participate in? Uh, this article gives you a better idea of the uh, the tiers uh, within the cabal and who's at what level. And basically, the ones at the very top are a very small number, and they they actually are afraid. Uh, because there's less than 70 people that run it all. And there is one who is a member of the cabal who lives in a trailer. Um, and I thought, you know, one that you towed around the country. And when I first heard that, I said, you've got to be kidding me. These people, you know, have all the money and luxury in the world if they want it. Why in the world would he live that way? And basically he was telling me that uh, the ones at the very top, the ones that have the true control, uh, do try to live um, in an unnoticeable way. They're not the the rich ones that are at the, you know, second and third tier down. Uh, one of the uh, the guys who is part of the cabal, he drives a, a Chevrolet or a Buick, and um, lives in a house that's you know like 1,600 square feet because they don't want attention brought to them. If they want to you know enjoy the luxuries of life, they have the money, they can go to the finest hotel or a restaurant or, you know, the fanciest island in the world if they want to. But their everyday existence is quite ordinary so that they won't attract attention. You know, that's really interesting you say that. Um, I actually lived that way, uh, mobily, with my family for, you know, over 18 months. And so I never, ever would have suspected that someone in one of the same RV campgrounds as me was a member of of the elite. So, well, the chances you actually ran into this guy are probably very slim. But nevertheless, the whole idea of it's uh, um, surprising. Just that whole idea of hiding in plain sight. Uh, Correct. It's, it's it's very clever. Um, and, you mm-hmm. know, with with Google, like you said before, with Google Earth, there's a lot of things it can do for us. You know, if these people bought up a whole chain of islands, I mean, you could you could use those satellite images and look right at, at their villas and things like that. So um, that also lends more credence to some of the underground activity being out of the sight of, of satellites being uh, out of plain sight and blending in with uh, areas such as national parks. I mean, I, w- I would never have guessed that Sm- the Smoky Mountains had uh, something like of that level and that caliber underneath. Well, it may have all started because underneath these mountains, there's a lot of natural, uh, you know, open cave structures, which could be more easily expanded upon. Uh, that might be part of the reason that uh, it was started. But uh, I've, I've gotten this information from many sources, including military sources, and it sounds like there is a 
um, what do you, maglev uh, uh, braille system beneath the ground that connects all through the Appalachian Mountains, starting up in uh, outside of Washington D.C. and Virginia. Um, we've we've seen some footage of uh, people driving into of people driving into um, some of these Appalachian uh, area complexes, if you will. And they drive for mile, miles and miles and miles of, of uh, I think, in, maybe in Arkansas and Missouri. There's a lot of limestone, um, but there's these just go on forever. And not only do you have, not only do you need like the underground uh, underground caverns, which you do not need any longer because the uh, boring machines that they have created now are huge. They're like, you know, railroad track uh, or railroad car size and bigger, and they can eat through the ground at like seven miles in a day. And so I'm, I'm quite confident those are being used to create, uh, you know, an underground uh, transportation system. Yeah, that's something that Phil Schneider talked a lot about was these boring machines and how they basically ran on uh, nuclear energy and use lasers to cut through and, and bore through. Is there a new technology uh, that you're referring to? I don't think that type of technology is really new anymore. and It's been used for years. Uh, I did find it interesting that uh, uh, the Perry facility that I mentioned earlier, uh, there's new activity going on there, and uh, I learned about it from somebody who lives in the area. And again, I got on Google and started doing my own searching and found um, a new hole in the ground which um, there, it's it's quite large because there's two tarps that cover most of it. You can see down between them that there's clearly a big hole down there. And to make it more convincing, um, in the Google images, I found these huge dump trunks. I also found um, excavator equipment. And then you can see evidence of where they're taking the dirt, the soil that they're finding beneath the ground, and bringing it up. And then they're spreading it out over a hillside so it looks like, you know, so it, you know, will disappear and not be obvious what they're doing. But I went and got a photo of a, um, a soil sample from that area. And the topsoil is dark and the soil down deep is very light in color. What's being spread out over on the ground is very light in color. So it indicates that they're digging deep. You know, that that reminds me of a story of uh, from David Adair when he was young, went to Area 51 and the floor dropped out in the hangar and they go down and it's a big cavernous areas. And it just went, you know, for as far as his eye could see with the curvature of the earth. And he he had oh the, he had the uh, audacity to ask, well, what'd you do with all the dirt? <laughs> <laughs> they got pretty, get an answer? Well, they got pretty mad at him. He decided to to change the subject. I hear you. There was also a lot of suspicious dirt around the uh, Denver airport when that was being built. Or it, it was going on for a very long time. So that's another mysterious place. Um, I want to bring up another thing you were asking, you know, what's high on my list of interest right now. Uh, we are continuing to get uh, Bigfoot stories here on the mountains. And uh, uh, there's a friend of mine that uh, I've known since, oh, decades. And she started her film career at Universal Studios as a lowly assistant production person. And then she worked her way up as a production manager for Disney and Universal and uh, a whole bunch of other different uh, 
film industry outlets. And so she has followed our website since we started it in 2008. And uh, she started out using the information we had found about Bigfoot. And we have, oh, the last count, well, we have like 58 different articles on Bigfoot. And so she took that information and then she came and visited uh, here in North Carolina um, to, you know, so we could show her the actual places where Bigfoot has been repeatedly seen. And the script has just been finished. And so if anybody is interested, if anybody's in the film business, we're now at the point where we're going to try to get this information out to people in the business to see if it might be able to become an actual movie. And on the homepage right now, um, at the very top, uh, it says brand new Bigfoot movie script. And you can learn about that. And anybody who might be in the film industry, there is a way to uh, contact Holly Rourke, who is the primary writer of the, the movie script. And uh, they can get a copy of the script if they like. That's interesting. So um, in this script, you said it's on, on your website? On our website, uh, we've done an article about this uh, uh, movie script, which we had been working on with Holly Rourke. Uh, and it's just been completed. And uh, so that's the reason it's at the top of our um, new articles on the homepage. Okay. So uh, about Bigfoot, you said that there's there's uh, a lot of sightings um, of Bigfoot in that area. Is is there is there any connection that you know of, or any data that you can point to that suggests that there might be a connection between these Bigfoot sightings and these deep underground bases that you're referring to? Um, I see more uh, connections. Uh, with UFOs, um, we have lots of UFO sightings in this area, and that's actually why we started the website, skyshipsovercachers.com, because we were seeing so many over the mountaintop town of Cashers. Um, but in the same general areas, we are, you know, getting the Bigfoot reports. So sure. uh, it's more likely there's a connection that way than there is with the underground facilities, but I could be wrong about that. Sure. Yeah, and we're we're just about ready to release our our latest episode where we we talked with Stan Gordon, and there's a there's a high correlation between uh, UFO sightings um, in his in his neck of the woods in Pennsylvania, and with Bigfoot, and uh, so there's some really strange phenomenon and some some interesting connections there that I would really like to understand more about. Yeah, and I'm not sure I can conclusively say that there is a connection that way. I know that somebody like Kawani, who's been uh, a primary investigator of, of uh, the Bigfoot for decades, uh, he indicates there's a connection. And like I said, just because there's so many sightings in this area, there very well could be. Um, but at the same time, um, the information I've gotten is that Bigfoot have been here on the planet before humans. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to know where to place things that are so unknown. Sometimes we just have to keep stuff in this category of we don't know for sure which way it is. Sometimes sometimes we're too quick to make a conclusion. Right, and the, the, the hard thing is to is to not jump to that conclusion and to not categorize there's it. Some, there's something in human nature that wants to identify things and make it clear and organize it and, you know, make sense out of everything. And sometimes we just can't absolutely do that. In fact, we can stop the progress of finding the real answers if we do close our minds too quickly. Yep, I agree. I agree. And I think that uh, 
that's you know in our pursuit of this information that we have to take take everything in and kind of weigh it and and look at how you know we we do like to see how it fits into our paradigm you know but we also have to you know shift our paradigm to understand some of these things a little bit deeper but again we still also have to decide we're not we're not always going to know and we can, we have to be okay with that uh, we will be posting a new story this uh, coming week. I'm not sure which day the webmaster will get to it. Um, but it is a, a woman who lives in, in territory where Bigfoot live. And once she and her family moved there, she had a dream about a Bigfoot. And the very next day, she and her family went hiking in the Joyce Kilmer National Forest, and they came upon a giant footprint by a stream that was flowing through the forest. And since then, she's become more acutely aware of the Bigfoot. And uh, she just sent us pictures this week where overnight at one of the uh, tent-like structures, you know, stick structures was formed. And she had walked that land the day before. And the next day, here's a a tent-like structure that's eight feet tall. To make it doubly interesting, when she looked up, uh, the trees above the tent were um, poplars that had been uh, bent in arches over the tent. And so she had had a dream about the Bigfoot. I think she'd been awakened uh, with the wood knocking that morning, and then she finds this tent. So from the different witnesses who've interacted with the Bigfoot, most Bigfoot don't want to scare people to death. They know that their size and even the energy that they send out uh, can be too intense for people. So they will start... Uh, acclimating humans in a very gentle, thoughtful way. They'll come through in dreams, or they will um, speak to them first and get, you know, let them feel safe before they ever uh, physically let somebody, uh, some human, see them. Not because they're afraid of us, but because they don't want us humans to react badly to them. Yeah, that's that ties in with a lot of um, some of the surprising accounts that we've we've heard. Um, one of them more recently was the Sasquatch Chronicles episode 500 with uh, Les Stroud. Surprisingly, he did talk about kind of this mind speak ability, and they basically were saying, "Hey, we're here if you want to meet us." And so that that interactivity, but also that again that choice to be involved or not. Um, so it's 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 fascinating to see some of those correlations. Yeah, one man um, who has, you know, he's had the Bigfoot speak to him, and this has gone on for some time. He seems to be connected to the Bigfoot in, in, at many levels, uh, and he felt like he was ready to see one. So finally the Bigfoot stepped out so he could see him. He said the energy coming from him just just, just about made its insides burst because it was so intense. And the Bigfoot immediately backed off and, and mentally told him he wasn't ready to see him. Yeah, and there's there's the different um, accounts with uh, what people think is infrasound, uh, where it definitely you know gives them a sick feeling or you know kind of disassociate with their surroundings. So those are some some commonalities uh, that might be lending some credence to to the things you're saying there. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, it's a it's a it's a nice it's an interesting. Uh, uh, subject and the research that came out, the DNA research that began to come out in 2012, um, shows that a Bigfoot is uh, a human on the maternal side and some unknown species on the paternal side. 
And so in some wild, crazy respect, they are cousins. And there have been hunters who have uh, gone to shoot a Bigfoot and they've seen the Bigfoot's face in their scope. And it has had such human qualities that they haven't been able to pull the trigger. So I think that we need to... um, I, I think we need to be more compassionate toward the Bigfoot. Uh, the only times I ever hear about violence with them is when usually human hunters are hunting them down or shooting at them. But I hear lots of good stories about uh, them rescuing people and, um, and sometimes making friends with them. Yeah, and to, to be clear, there there are definitely very uh, very violent encounters. There are some very uh, aggressive encounters. They're, they're, you know, so it's it's it does kind of run all over the map. Um, so, but I do think that those are the the uh, minority. And again, the only ones that I personally know about have been uh, involving human hunters. So, I and, and sadly, most of the movies that have come out, with the exception of Harry and the Hendersons, uh, had been. Uh, portraying the Bigfoot as a monster and something creepy and scary and violent. And that just uh, makes that image uh, more dominant than it should be. And that's one of the reasons that we've done this script, because we hope to make it, or uh, we hope it portrays uh, the Bigfoot in a much more compassionate way. Well, that's that's something we'll have to check out. Um, we, we can link up to that here in our episode notes. Now, you did say that there was a strong correlation with some UFO sightings and Bigfoot. What kind of UFOs are we talking about? Are we talking about light? Are we talking about um, actual saucers? What's kind of uh, some of the descriptions you're getting? We have seen such an array of UFOs. We've seen the ones that everybody knows about, the saucer-shaped ones. Um, But back in 2015, we were getting, I wasn't, somebody else who lives in Cashers was getting pictures of the oddest UFOs you have ever, ever seen. I've never even seen them on the Internet anywhere. And they look like um, uh, giant uh, asteroids or, you know, asteroids. But they were staying, hovering close, you know, relatively close to the ground. They would stay in one place. They did emanate light, but they reflected light from the ground. And we have photos of those, and they're just you know, mind-boggling because they're so different. And then we've posted pictures. Well, I'll stick to the ground here. Um, We have them where they're like uh, multiple tiers or levels. You know, the balls uh, or the spheres are very, very common. Uh, They're just not all the same. You know, with uh, Bigfoot, a lot of what I've heard are um, orbs, especially in uh, dense forested areas. Is that something that you're seeing? Uh, we have uh, reports of orbs in the same area. Um, I tend to think those are more spiritual uh, beings, I think. Uh, we did a, a story many, many years ago, and it was at a, um, what do you call it, a meditation thing in the Far East. And the, the bigger the crowd got and the more the meditation went on, the orbs just began to fill the picture to the point where you almost couldn't see the people anymore. And so they were being this, their disembodied uh, souls. And uh, uh, that's what I think most orbs are. Of course, the word orb is used in different ways. It's not just used one way. Uh, something that's round uh, can be referred to as an, an orb, and it can be of a very solid nature. But the orbs of light in the forest, the orbs of light 
like the brown mountain lights, those are like translucent uh, images. Wow. Well, now some some of the um, UFO experiences that uh, people are having, is there any connection with uh, any military uh, bases in the area or any military personnel? Absolutely. So that's that's fascinating to me. Yeah, we have UFOs that have been associated or seen around uh, maybe all of them, but uh, um, we've seen them a lot around the Perry facility. Uh, they've been around the um, uh, flying over the Smoky Mountain National Park where there's a facility. Um, there's a place called Sugarloaf Mountain, which is near Lake Lure or Chimney Rock State Park. And, um, you know, UFOs were seen over that mountaintop where clearly there is an entrance. So, yeah, I do believe that there is a connection. Uh, there's a lake that's just east of one of the, uh, just west of the Perry facility, and people say they've seen UFOs go into the lake and come out of that lake. So that might be a way of entering an underground facility. Who knows? But um, yeah, I think there definitely is a connection. I do think that some aspects of our military are involved with some aspects of the ET world. Now, you said earlier that you personally haven't had any of the uh, intimidation factors. Have any of your witnesses had any personnel or people intimidating them? Um, everybody that I have talked to has gone at great lengths uh, to be uh, very, very cautious. Uh, when I was working at a place in town where I had a, a, a lot of in- interaction with people, I had various people come in, and I would learn after the fact that they kept coming in to talk to me because they were checking me out to see if they felt I was trustworthy to share their stories. And so they're very cautious. One man who has, uh, you know, high security clearance, uh, he gave us a statement about the underground facility beneath Perry. He gave us a written statement. He made sure that he wrote it in a style that was totally different than his normal way of writing. He had it delivered to me by somebody else. Uh, he just did all sorts of things to make sure it couldn't be traced back to him. So I think the people who have uh, been bold enough to share their stories with me have also been smart enough to be very careful about, you know, how they reveal their information. With witness testimony coming from someone that is participating in one of these facilities, um, is that giving you more of a clear picture of, of what's happening? Uh, to some degree, but even uh, even then, they will still limit what they probably know. Sometimes if they reveal everything they know, then they would point the finger at themselves. And do we know uh, which branches of the mil- military perhaps are involved? Are we talking Air Force, Navy? Um, I do not know. Um, it seems like the Air Force is involved with most military UFO things around the country, uh, which makes sense, actually. Uh, the facility beneath Mount Mitchell, uh, which is the largest mountain east of the Mississippi, um, one of our witnesses uh, talked about the U.N. troops being there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, you know, the U.N.'s quite a different different subject. That actually is, and that's the first time I've I've heard of any uh, UN involvement. Uh, that that actually kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit. 
um, in that same article, that, or not article, but in the book when I've written about that, <clears throat> I have um, uh, something about the world, let's see, what do they call it, the World Heritage Treaty or whatever, but it, it's where land within our country is being protected, uh, supposedly for very noble reasons, uh, but it ends up so that we do not own our land, uh, and that applies to um, Mount Mitchell. And it also applies to uh, the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. That opens the door for, like, U.N. troops to practice on land that supposedly U.S. People want to get into that in some bigger way uh, in the book, Underground Military Bases. Um, You know, there's a whole chapter on that. I believe that is called the UNESCO World Heritage Site. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's many of those around the world. Uh, but very strangely, some of these uh, uh, military things are happening in that kind of protected territory. Well, with uh, things like Agenda 21 and the different nature preserves and buffer zones that they're creating, um, that does allow for a little bit more operational area. Uh, if they're running drills or if they're um, if they have bases underneath, these all are kind of some some pieces to the puzzle. Um, that's true. And at the uh, underneath Sugarloaf uh, Mountain, um, they the government has bought up land uh, adjacent to this mountain, so there's only one way to access it now. And um, even that has changed. When I first went there, it was a hairpin, single-lane gravel road, and there were only eight houses almost at the top of the mountain, period. Um, since then, They've come in and they've expanded the road. They've gone in there and put in major uh, electrical power lines, the kind that have to be held up by uh, uh, cement pole, you know, poles. And the cables are like 10 inches in diameter. And the only thing that's obvious at the top of the mountain are eight homes. So why would you have that kind of power, uh, you know, going up to the top of this mountain? And at one point when these lines were being put in, uh, one of the witnesses counted uh, about 20 of those pike energy or electrical uh, trucks that you see whenever there's a disaster and the, all the electrical trucks come in. I mean, clearly, it's uh, providing power for something much bigger than two houses. Yeah, that's a that's a strong correlation there, and and there's a there's even a high high correlation with with UFO sightings um, around um, energy areas, uh, high energy areas where you have a lot of different UFO sightings. Sorry about that. Hello? Hello? Hey, Mary, can you hear us? Hello? Hi, can you hear us now? Hello. I can now. I don't know what's going on. Oh, bugger! As soon as I as, as soon as I said UFOs and electrical uh, power lines and it, stuff, it, <laughs> it pooped out it on went us. Out, huh? Interesting. <laughs> um, you know, and I know our, our I know our time's almost up. Um, and and I, I wanted to ask uh, kind of a final question here uh, for you for you personally. Have you witnessed? Um, any high strangeness, uh, whether it be lights in the sky, a UFO, um, anything connected with the underground bases, 
um, or even a Bigfoot sighting? Uh, yes, to all of them. Really? Okay. Uh, are, are these recent? Are these recent sightings uh, and experiences that you've had? Uh, which subject do you want me to talk about? Uh, let's talk. Well, for exa- Go ahead, you pick it. Okay, let's talk about uh, let's talk about UFOs. Okay. Um, gee, I, th- those are just so common, and and when you just see them up in the sky, you know, as a you know a light, and it'll stay there a little bit, and then it'll disappear or blink out. I mean, there's a lot of that. I don't consider that dramatic at all, but it's common and it's 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 often. When I lived on Cocoa Beach, I actually had an easier time seeing the UFOs because right now I'm wedged uh, between two mountain ridges, and uh, unless a UFO goes directly overhead, I can't see it from where I am. Um, but down there, when I was between Patrick Air Force Base and the Space Center, um, I saw a lot of uh, UFO activity. And also got confirmation from people who worked at the Space Center um, about the reality of the UFOs. That doesn't exactly answer your question. No. Uh, more recent, more recently, I've been, I've seen the cave, uh, one of the caves where the Bigfoot hang out uh, or take shelter. Uh, it was kind of an interesting day because um, I went up with a mountain man to the top of a ridge. We took a, a gravel dirt road to get there. And then we walked about a half mile to get to where this cave was. And when we started in that direction, uh, I heard this mechanical bird-type sound. It didn't quite sound like a real bird. And then in the direction that we were walking, it was like an answer with the same kind of bird sound. And then everything got silent. And the conclusion of both of us was that uh, one Bigfoot was letting the rest of the Bigfoot know that two humans were on the way. Watch out. Yeah, and, and that, that seems like it's very common uh, when exp- when people experience anything that's uh, with sound, um, any communication between Bigfoot. It's usually warning others to uh, take cover or, or be quiet or both. Mm-hmm. And very interesting, though. That, that's... That's very now, interesting. Now, I've, I've seen the Bigfoot prints. You know, there's an area where, you know, they commonly walk from, not walk, <clears throat> they bound down a steep mountain where there's caves at the very top, and then way down below there's a pond. There's also a, an apple tree that they seem to be to, to like when the apples are ripe. And uh, so on more than one occasion I've seen the uh, footprints, and they're, they're usually kind of in the soft, muddy dirt, uh, but clearly you can see it's something large that's been bounding up the steep slope because the distance between the footprints is so great. So I've seen that kind of thing. With the footprints, have you been able to get any casts? Uh, no, and uh, for the simple reason that where we've been able to see them repeatedly has been in very um, uh, mucky soil where it's um, like a, it's like debris and grass and mud. And it doesn't. It, it you can actually see where sometimes the footprint has slid a little bit. Uh, it's not good for casting. And that I don't even know if castings are very convincing to people anymore. But uh, uh, no, we haven't done that. You know, I've seen. Um, we've we've visited with Dr. Meldrum down in Pocatello. Uh, oh, he certainly has a collection of them, doesn't he? He does. He has quite a wide array. Um, some of the more interesting ones are where. You can see the foot slip in the mud. Uh, maybe it was a little bit smoother or more clay-like uh, mud, but it was pretty defined. Um, and so, yeah, when it comes to convincing people with with the casts, I don't necessarily think you know skeptics will be skeptics. 
But with his expertise, where he kind of knows um, some of the anatomy, some of the, the different things to look for, the mid-tarsal break. For example, with the footprint, uh, not the footprints, uh, the, the fingerprints, uh, they have the whorls uh, marks like we do, but they are totally different shape. And uh, there's an expert that was out in Texas, and we've done an article on him so long ago. His name is gone from my brain. Uh, but we have photographs of the uh, fingerprints, and you can see how different they are. But those are not castings. Those are um, where they've left a print uh, that can be photographed, Yeah, that... which to me is, is actually a little bit more convincing. Yeah, the dermal ridges, when you, mm-hmm. when you see the dermal ridges, that to me is just, that's, that's a, a very strong confirmation that, that these things are physical. Especially since they're, sim- they're similar, but they are different. And uh, I agree with you. I think that's a real good indication that they're real. Uh, there's a man that uh, I've had contact with. His name is David Ellis. He uh, was a co-founder of the Olympic Project out in Washington. And it's a, a group of investigators who are just uh, dedicated to coming up with the truth about Bigfoot. And he sent me photos of a casting of um, little, I mean, the children Bigfoots. I mean, he's gotten the the adults and the medium size and the children. And he's also gotten castings of footprints that have uh, six digits. And people think you um, Bigfoot are all the same, but they're not. Uh, there are those with six fingers, five fingers, which is the most common, uh, four fingers, some say three fingers. Uh, that may or may not be the same kind of creature. Really would have a little bit more doubt about that. Uh, but they're not the same, and they're not <clears throat> all the same size. Um, the ones in Florida, which are also known as swamp apes, uh, are the smallest. The ones here where we are here in North Carolina um, are like medium size for a Bigfoot, and the ones out west are the ones that are the largest. You know, I'm, gra- I'm glad you brought that up because um, that is something that we've discussed on our show before. Um, we've had Duke Sullivan on and uh, Matt from uh, Matt Squatch Presents, and we've discussed those different types of Bigfoot. Um, I think that those are, you know, it's, it's important to bring up uh, that there are variances within that subject. Um, so that's, thank you for, for covering that. I did want to kind of visit that and, subject. And one other thing with that, um, one of the people that we've contacted about the Bigfoot um, is Joan Ocean, and Joan Ocean is a world uh, authority on dolphins. She lives in Hawaii, and somebody here on the mainland wanted to learn how to communicate with the Bigfoot better and figured that Joan would be a good one to learn something from. And um, she um, actually made a trip and spent some time here on the mainland, um, and she connected with a, some very intelligent uh, Bigfoot. Uh, she refers to the Sasquatch as the same thing. It doesn't matter. It's just easier to say Bigfoot. And uh, one of the ones she contacted um, was um, a female Sasquatch who was known as a medicine woman among her tribe of uh, uh, Bigfoot. And uh, I just pulled this up so I could read it. It's very short. The Bigfoot were actually able to communicate in writing uh, with Joan. She would leave a notebook out so that they could write things down. And this is this is real quick. And it says, Water Woman, which is what they named Joan because she spends so much time in the water. Water Woman want to cross salt water. 
We cannot cross salty water where sun go down too far. One who draws will make pictures that move in box with white-haired tall man. Tell our story of life and God's world. And then a male um, uh, Bigfoot in the in the same tribe uh, did a number of drawings on a notebook page, and he drew the Plea uh, the constellation of the Pleiades. Uh, he uh, did something that looked like um, uh, Ogham writing from the old Irish, where they have a horizontal line with vertical lines that are above and below the line for their letters. Um, and he drew mountains and uh, sunshine and something that looks like uh, maybe uh, something flying through the air. And it's next to the um, constellation of the Pleiades, which you know, makes you kind of think, was he trying to communicate that that's where they're from? Don't know. But uh, that shows a very high level of intelligence, uh, higher than uh, many of the Bigfoot, uh, but I don't think any of the Bigfoot are totally dumb. Wow. Do do we have scans or pictures of the of this writing? Yes. If you... Um, uh, the easiest thing for people to remember is... Uh, just type in Joan Ocean's name, and we've done, I think, two articles on her, and one is titled Sasquatch Befriend Dolphin Expert, and uh, that has uh, the actual writing that you can see for yourself. Well, that's that's super exciting. That's that's a, a piece of information that I have not heard before. Um, I know that uh, Kiwani, um, he has some connections there and that kind of seem to overlap, but this is a little bit different angle there with the, the communication being written. And I, she'd be a wonderful uh, person for, if you could ever get her on the show, she's just a delight to uh, to talk with or email with. And uh, uh, you can see why, um, you know, creatures like the Bigfoot would be willing to be opened up with or, or would open up with her. Fascinating stuff. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, you've you've really enlightened me with uh, just a vast array of, of information. Uh, I know I'm going to be spending a lot more time on your site and and reading these different uh, accounts that you have. Uh, for just really quick, if you could um, plug your website name and your book names really quick, because I believe those are available on Amazon, are they not? That's correct. Uh, the website is skyshipsovercashers.com. If you type in skyshipsovercashers, it'll, pro- it'll probably come up. And cashers is spelled like a cashier at the at the store, uh, skyshipsovercashers.com. Uh, the, the three books I have in print right now, one is uh, Underground Military Bases Hidden in the North Carolina Mountains. One is Cherokee Little People Were Real. And the third one's quite different. It's called Tangible Evidence of Jesus. Uh, the whole title is Tangible Evidence of Jesus Left Behind for Us to Find, and it's archaeological and scientific information uh, that adds a whole new dimension beyond the Bible about um, the man we know as Jesus. And if you, people want a quick summary of them, again, go to the website, open up uh, Editor's Corner, and scroll way down to the bottom, and there's a quick summary of uh, each of those books, you know, just like a paragraph. There's also a sample chapter from uh, the, the uh, Tangible Evidence book. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. And thanks so much for coming on today and, and taking the time to do so. And good luck with all your own research. Good luck with it all. Thank you so much.
Well, folks, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. It was our delight to have Mary Joyce on. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. And if you have any suggestions, head on over to our website. It's lostriverlegends.com. We have a contact form. We have several ways of getting a hold of us on our social media. All of that is linked out there. Thanks so much and make sure you have yourself a good day.